My name is Valerie Payne, and this is the podcast Finding Unity. I started this podcast because of a personal experience that helped me to see the need for unity in our society right now. I hope that you will come along with me on my quest to find unity as we seek understanding, connection, healing, and love. Hi, this is Valerie Payne, and you're listening to another episode of Finding Unity, and I am super excited because I have Tracy Browning on today. Tracy, do you want to say hi really quick? Hello. Nice to be with you. Thank you for this invitation, Valerie. Yeah, of course. I'm so happy to be with you. Um, I just first wanted you to just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your role in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you feel comfortable about that, and then um, also your role professionally, what you're doing. Yeah. Well, um, as you mentioned, my name is Tracy Browning. I am a mother. I'm a wife. I have two gorgeous children who uh, my daughter recently turned 21 and my son recently turned 15, all in the month of April. Um, My husband and I have been married for, gosh, well over 20 plus years. We live in Utah, and I work for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as you mentioned. I work in the Publishing Services Department, and my responsibilities there are to help the departments that um, have a a mission of the church, like the missionary department, or a mission to care for the poor and needy, like the welfare department. I help them kind of figure out their messaging and the materials that they might want to send out into the world, and the department that I'm in, we gather those resources together. There's a lot of creative resources that put together messages um, and materials. And then we we do that work. We implement that work and we send it out and publish those things to the world. So you might see content um, that my department develops on the church's main website, on our social channels, things like that. I also serve on the Relief Society General Advisory Council. And that means that I work with the Relief Society presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And our responsibility is really to help serve the millions of sisters who are members of this church. And we try to um, represent and understand their needs and help them um, in their desire to become better disciples of Jesus Christ. We try to help um, as much as we can to support them in that effort to come closer to the Savior. Um, and I'm just really fortunate to to be a part of that. I, anything that I get to do that uh, brings me closer to the women of the church is just a sweet, a sweet blessing in my life. Well, that's awesome. I love too how when I asked you to tell me about yourself professionally and with the church, the first thing you mentioned is being a mother. And so I thought that was really awesome. It's a, you know, it's it's a thing that I love. And yeah. it's, it's something that um, has come to be one of the biggest joys in my life is just my family. That's awesome. So I guess first I wanted to ask just if you can talk a little bit about your background, um, where you're from originally. Yeah. So my family is from Jamaica. So I am a black, um, part of the black African diaspora. Um, my, uh, we, Jamaica's in the Caribbean. And uh, after a while, we emigrated to the United States and spent most of our time on the East Coast between New York and New Jersey. And I really um, did my formative years there. So my, my early education, and, and I went to college there uh, before I came to Utah in at about early 20s and was married. Um, so my background is is really that I'm not African-American, meaning I don't have an African-American uh, experience, but I am part of the African diaspora, particularly coming from the Caribbean. Yeah. Having that background and coming here, we talked a little bit about this on the phone, but I'm curious how how that transition just to the United States was for you as far as like inclusion and finding inclusion. Yeah, you know, I... 
it was it's really interesting what I think as a young as a young black person, I took for granted just how much diversity there is within my own community of people. Um, there, there, there are differences in culture. There is um, an African uh, co- continental culture. There is a Caribbean culture. There is a Brazilian culture. There is an African American culture. Anywhere where you find Black people, we have these variations uh, in our cultures. So there was a while that it took me to kind of understand as I came to the United States the differences in the culture between the Caribbean and the African com- African American community that I was living in, and even the other cultures that I was kind of becoming familiar with because in Jamaica it was its own very specific culture um and in my family we sort of maintained this Caribbean culture in the midst of this new environment that we lived in we kind of hunkered down in that um we're Caribbean people living in the United States um so it was always an adjustment because you had to all of a sudden adapt to all these different people that didn't exist when we were living on the island and really learning how to um, appreciate and understand all the different cultures that we we now had the benefit of living with and learning from. Yeah. Tell me more about um, just inclusion in general and what you've done with your work in inclusion. Yeah. So the Relief Society, on my assignment in Relief Society, I have been asked to work on a committee that looks at the question of how can we help um, members, not just sisters only, but how do we help members of the church globally feel like they belong in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And how do they feel like they um, have a place in God's kingdom and particularly in Um, the church and what can we do to help make sure that we are teaching principles that make people know and understand that um, anything that is divisive, that is exclusive, um, is not a part of the gospel and is not not correct. And we want to teach correct principles and we want to do that um, through examining, you know, all, all the areas where those principles are communicated, but also in the opportunities where we have activities to be more inclusive. How can we serve? How can we encourage service? How can we do those things? So on in, in my assignment, we're really just asking that question, what are the ways that we can make sure that all of God's children in the varying circumstances that they're in understand that they belong here and that they have a place in his kingdom? Um, primarily because we believe that every person in their circumstance is valuable and and can contribute. Um, So making sure that they feel comfortable to contribute and not decide to um, kind of separate themselves from from us and and making sure that we understand the ways that we need to help prevent that uh, by being more inclusive is, is a big part of the responsibility, kind of looking at that question and trying to find opportunities that help us um, make people feel like they belong. I love that. And um, Sister Eubank, who's a sister um, in the church, gave a talk on unity and specifically about, you know, being in the boat, how we all work and we can find perfect swing together. And I love that, that metaphor and that story and also just how like, where's the boat going, right? Mm-hmm. Are we leading it? Like, is it to Christ? Is that mm-hmm. where the boat's going? And how can we work in perfect swing to make it there. And regardless of what faith you may be, like how are we working together towards that common goal, that um, divine goal that we all have? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, certainly in this respect, the boat is, is we're trying to all move towards our savior. 
And um, I, I often think about it in the way, in musical terms. I think about um, when I, I love to listen to, to choirs and my favorite choirs are those that harmonize really well. And the beauty of the harmony is that you have people who are singing at different um, notes and different pitches and different tones. But when it comes together, it just sounds right, right? They're singing the same song. There is a purpose and there's a, a direction there that they've all agreed to and they're all working towards that, but they're coming at it from very different directions. But man, when it harmonizes, when it comes together, it's such a beautiful melody. And I think that that's the unity that we're trying to accomplish. And this this time we're focused on Christ. We are focused on our Savior. And, and as we keep him in the forefront of our mind, it, it gives us that why and that purpose for why it's important for us to create harmony so that we can um, be a part of his kingdom together. Yeah. I love that. I love that metaphor and, and make beautiful music together. And make beautiful music. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Um, so tell me a little bit more about um, just your work with inclusion. It sounds like this is a calling that you've had in the church, but have you had experience with that before and what's kind of led you to that journey? Yeah, it, it's not necessarily any specific um, experience other than I have a passion for it. I think that um, as I... That, that becomes clear maybe even as I kind of go around and talk, even in my job, I, I serve on committees that are focused on inclusion in the church uh, as part of my employment, not just my calling. And that might be because people naturally identify me as someone who um, talks about it, is f willing and open and always offering to help and is very uh, willing to engage in conversations and to listen. Um, and, and I think part of that uh, people sense and believe that I care about this topic and really uh, feel inspired to serve as much as I can to help um, move um, that sense of belonging in our culture forward, that maybe that's why I'm getting the assignments. I mean, I can't really tell you. There, it's not like I have some professional experience uh, that I've served in diversity and inclusion committees in some professional way, it really, or have some specialized training. It isn't really that. It is more of a, of a passion um, and a testimony and a commitment in, in trying to see this uh, be a big part of our culture, because I think of it as uh, a part of the commitments that I've made in, in the membership, in my membership in the church. We, we make these promises to God and I'm able to track those promises back to this sense of connection with God's family and everyone needing to feel like we are family and that we do belong in God's family. And that I take that very seriously because we've got these two great commandments that we talk about um, all the time, to love God and then to love each other. Mm -hmm. And I, I see the deep connection between that, that it's part of that promise that I have made um, to God to get closer to him and also to get closer to his children. So if, if, if anything qualifies me, it will be that I have made a promise to do such. And I'm trying to live up to that promise in any opportunity that's presented. Some of that is in my profession and some of that is in my assignments and my calling. Yeah. And you have a natural love for people. I do. I, yeah. I do. I do. I really, really do. I often tell, I have this conversation with my mom and I, and I say, you know, when I think about my experience here on earth, my favorite part of this experience is people. 
I just, I really like people. I love people that. People yeah. are just really interesting and they're, they're just, they're just for me, the most interesting thing on the planet. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Amen to that. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk more about, you know, you talked about being on these inclusion committees and I'm sure there are moments when maybe people have different perspectives. Yeah. And um, specifically when we talk about racism, um, I know that sometimes the tricky thing is we all have the same goal, but we have different approaches and how to get there. Yeah. And that can cause division. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious what um, tips you would have or ideas for people who maybe have a common goal, but different approaches in how to get there and how to kind of find unity in those conversations. Yeah. The first thing that I would think of is you talked about that, how maybe dis- the, the, the differences in our opinions can create d- division. I think that is that is what the world would want us to believe that we have to be divided when we don't share the same opinion. And I think what's really happening is that mostly it can create discomfort. And I think discomfort is different than division. And I think that discomfort isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think that discomfort presents an opportunity for us to consider a new perspective, one that may challenge our own perspective, but one that can, um, that can stretch us in new ways that we're unfamiliar with. And that isn't a bad thing. Um, for it to be divisive, it, it comes with a sense of um, maybe the, the tone and the attack and the um, you're wrong and less willing to have a conversation and more willing to like convince someone of a perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly in, in our church, in my faith and, and in the practice of, um, of the church of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints we we really seek to understand before we seek to be understood it's a principle that's important to us so listening is just a really big part of the this um our our gospel practice listening to the spirit is another big part of our gospel practice and one of my favorite um uh one of my favorite titles for the spirit of God is the comforter. I remember as a, as a convert, um, I was, or an investigator to the, to the church, I was being taught that the Holy ghost was a comforter. And there's a, a presumption that if the spirit is a comforter, comforter, you have to be uncomfortable. You must be in a position of discomfort. So discomfort to me is not a bad thing that if you are present, um, you're being presented with something that challenges you, that is an opportunity for the comforter, the spirit of God to come in and to provide revelation and to provide provide you with new information, something that actually is beneficial for you that will enhance your um, understanding and enhance your experience. We just have to be willing to be uncomfortable and to not look at discomfort as division, to really examine, is this division or is this discomfort? Because I think most of the time it's discomfort Division comes into place when people are maybe not being respectful, maybe disrespectful. And I think that in terms of what can we do tactically is we want to make sure that as we have conversations, we prioritize the relationship with the person over being right. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, we sometimes want to prove our point and we deprioritize getting closer to someone, understanding their perspective and creating connection. So in order for us to to consider how to flip that, we want to prioritize the person 
before we prioritize being right. And it's not always easy, but I think it's an important first step. And it's something that we have to start modeling um, in our own lives. Put people first. And in those conversations, let people know, hey, we're going to talk about something challenging. And um, I want you to know that the priority for me is not to hurt you. I'm perfectly certain I'm going to say something incorrect at some point. And I really am open to your correction. And I really want at the end of this experience for us to get closer. I want to know you more. I want to understand your experiences more. And I want to learn something and put that up front so that when you do make a mistake, um, that person already knows, hey, I'm not you're, you're not there to hurt my feelings. That mistake is not malicious. It's not it's not to be divisive. It's just our natural learning process of figuring out how to talk about these things and getting the language correct. And that's through a process of learning. It doesn't happen organically. It's something that's learned and that this opportunity is a learning process. So it's, you know, and as the person who is the on the other side of that conversation, you have to be willing to be gracious, you know? You have to be willing to be vulnerable and you have to willing to be trustful. You have to willing to be be willing to be forgiving. All of those things can be asked for and established up front. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we let things go too far without making sure that our intent is known so that when there's an impact, when, when, when we have good intent, but the impact is not awesome, we have perspective, which is yeah. this person is my friend and they really do yeah. want to connect with me and they're imperfect and they're here to learn and learning is a process and um, we're going to, we're going to be willing to do it together. Yeah. You know, when you were saying that, I was thinking specifically about um, one of my best friends who is just a member of a different faith, but Christian. And often we have conversations about the differences in our religious, you know, um, beliefs. And it's never an issue because we already have that trust, that relationship and that love there. And so sometimes the conversation ends with, okay, well, like, you know, I accept like you have a different perspective on that. We have to agree to disagree on that. But um, I still love you and I still respect you. And I think sometimes, I guess for me, sometimes that can be easier with religion (laughs) and trickier with other aspects, um, whether that's, um, you know, different political perspectives or whatever it might be. Um, And so I love that that groundwork of that model that you just expressed, because I feel like it can be used in so many aspects of life. Absolutely, because I don't actually think that conversations of religion is like walking through a field of daisies. I think that there are minefields in a lot of these topics um, that, again, we can make divisive, but really probably start with discomfort. And we just don't know how to handle discomfort really Mm -hmm. well. But if we first focus on just making relationships with people, uh, it gets easier. It really gets easier to have uncomfortable relationships when everybody knows that what's most important to me is you and I, and that I'm going to prioritize our connection above my desire to be right and to prove you wrong. That's never going to be the thing that's going to be at the end of this. So that when people know that it gets easier to have conversations that would otherwise be, wow, you know, pretty heavy and challenging territory to navigate. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I feel like my biggest takeaway so far anyway, is just if you have something that you want to learn, or you see someone who's different is really try to build a relationship with that person first. And then when you feel like you're in a good place, then have those conversations. 
um, and be okay with if someone has a different perspective from you because that might cause, like you said, you to look at things in a way you haven't seen them before. Even if you still hold on to your same values, it can still help you to kind of see from their perspective, which I think can also help to facilitate love when you're looking from their perspective. Absolutely. You have to also kind of, like I mentioned before, you people have to be willing to take correction. Correction should be gentle, but we do have to be willing to take correction when we have moved into territories that don't serve anybody or aren't productive or aren't helpful. And others have to be willing to be really forgiving when people maybe you know, are in places that they're not necessarily doing things that are effective or uh, will serve anyone. So it's, it's, it's a give and take. And mostly it's about grace. We're extending grace uh, on either side of a conversation. So I'm curious um, if you've ever had a situation, if you feel comfortable sharing, where maybe you've kind of struggled with that, maybe at two at the beginning in, in of these conversations and how were you able to work through it? And maybe you've already kind of given the answer, you know, it's probably just really all about love, but I didn't know if you had any experience or anything that might be helpful for people who are listening. Yeah, I, I absolutely have struggled with it. You know, I live in and exist in the same world that everybody else does. And I, um, I'm inundated with the same really horrific things that you see on the news about what's happening in our world and to people. And um, I have relationships in my life where uh, people see those issues differently than I do. And for me, sometimes um, the these experiences that I'm having are, are really visceral because they affect my community and I worry maybe about my children and I worry about um, very tangible things in my life. And for others, sometimes it may just be kind of like an idea of a problem, but nothing that has like a real tangible impact in their life. And as a result of that, um, there's sensitivities that I have to, to, to navigate because for me, it's quite visceral. And, you know, because I know and believe these principles and I do prioritize my relationships and because I get a sense that I may have people in my life that don't really understand what I mean when I talk about the tangible ways in which these things that I'm seeing happening in the world affect me, affect my mental health, affect my um the way that I talk to my children or how we navigate these experiences as a family, how I might be having to explain to them those circumstances differently than others may be talking about in their families. Um, Because I know that those differences are there, I have to make sure that I'm in a place where I'm, I'm, I always want to be a safe person and I don't want the emotion of highly emotional circumstances to cloud my ability to be safe for people to talk to. But it is emotional. I'm just human. And these things do have an impact in my life in actually really real ways that I may not be as transparent to everyone, but certainly they're they're happening and these discussions are very transparent in my home. Yeah. Um, but I, and, and even though I have relationships, as I mentioned, where when I, when I listen to some of those people that I love and I recognize that they don't understand what it means um, in my life, I still want to be safe to them because I want them to know that there is something that they can do to help 
alleviate what I see are real issues that exist in not just the theoretical world, but even in our community, even in the thing, in the places that we live and exist together. Um, and in order for me to do that, I have to be safe. And that's a vulnerable place to be. And that means that I have to do a lot of introspective and preparatory work yeah. so that I am choosing to be a safe person um, and a person that lets them know that I want to have these conversations with them because I would like their help. People often um, will ask, how can I help? Um, and I want to give real answers that I think are, um, are parts of, you know, parts of the worldview that I have on this topic. And um, in order for me to have those conversations about real things, I, I think that I, I often have to do uh, emotional work beforehand. Yeah, that's so, I, I feel noble and compassionate of you, you know, because you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to be a safe person for others. And so I just, I don't know, I think that's very compassionate and noble of you to to want to be that person for others. So. Yeah, I just kind of give you kudos for that. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Trust me, I'm not looking for a medal. I just believe that um, this is an all-in sort of. A lot of these issues that we're trying to solve can only be solved together. Yeah. Um, so I have to be in a place that I'm willing to lock arms and link arms with others. I have to be willing to be able to articulate that help in a way that people can hear when they ask how they can help. Um, I have to be able to, I need to be able to articulate that. Now, I may need some space to figure out and get my thoughts together and come back. And that's the emotional, the emotional work that I was talking about. But I know that this isn't an issue that is um, going to be solved by any one group. We're all going to want to be invested in this. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that we're going to have to have hard conversations. Um, and even though I may feel, um, viscerally like these things have a big impact on my life and on the lives of my children and others that um, exist in my community uh, they're important to me it's important to me also that i am looking at the people who want to help and to be clear how how i can let them know exactly how they can help yeah i love that um, you alluded to, you know, conversations with your family, and I wonder if this is a good time to kind of talk about um, maybe what those conversations look like, and then yeah. also just on a principal level of um, inclusion as well, things you've learned that you've been able to apply in your family. Yeah. Um, you know, the big thing that I talk to about my family is that I'm so grateful that we have a savior, and that um all injustices and all the things that are challenging in this world, despite the whatever the circumstances are, all of those are understood by our Savior. He's the only person that really understands. And sometimes um, we have these deep hurts that we can sometimes feel really isolated and alone in. Um, and certainly we have our we have each other to a certain extent. Um, but I also want them to know that greater than even, you know, mom and dad is their connection to their savior, Jesus Christ, because all of that inequality, all of that injustice, um, gets paid for through, through his sacrifice and, um, through his promises. And those promises 
can be certain and assured. And those promises can be the thing that we hold on to as hopeful when we look around and things feel less than hopeful um, and can seem quite dismal and dark and hopeless. That there is a light um, in this world and he is the light of this world. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about him first. And then we have to talk about the realities of how to navigate um, just leaving our home and having experiences that make you feel um, less than, that are unfair, that are fall along a spectrum of unfortunate, right? All the way from, you know, mildly offensive to wildly egregious. And um, we, I transparently share the experiences that I've had along those spectrum. And I've talked to them about how I've been able to navigate those experiences. And I'm a resource for them to ask questions and for them to, um, you know, I've got teenagers and I've got a young adult and they're, um, they're, they're trying to find their way and understand and navigate this topic in, on, on lots of different levels and lots of different um, directions. And they want to know how to talk with their friends about it mm -hmm. um, as they engage in conversations in their spaces. So we, we talk about, and I hope that I model what those conversations should look like um, so that they can be heard and they can hear others. And they also prioritize those relationships and um, seek to help be a helper um, and understand that um, the feelings of dis deep disappointment and uh, real injustices are completely valid. Um, but we also need to figure out what, how do we channel these things so that we can um, productively lay hold to the promises that the savior offers us yeah i love those those thoughts and i'm i'm wondering if you feel comfortable sharing maybe an experience um that maybe you've shared with your children and how you navigated that just in case there's someone listening um who may benefit from that if you feel comfortable yeah um let me talk about um a circumstance that might be really nuanced and, and one that we see really common that mirrors what happens on our television screens. Um, I just like everyone else, I uh, have a driver's license and I, and I drive around on uh, city streets and at times I am uh, pulled over by the police sometimes because I have made minor infractions, sometimes for reasons unknown. Let me start by saying those times that I have been pulled over by um, by law enforcement officers, sometimes those experiences have been perfectly fine and uh, officers have been perfectly gracious and the, those experiences happen as, as one would expect. I either go away with a warning for some reason or depending upon the infraction, I might have a ticket. I have received a ticket in my life. <laughs> um, but sometimes those experiences are concerning um, and uh, you know, I had one several years ago in Utah um, where an officer pulled me over and I was in the car with 
an employee that I worked with. I wasn't working at the church at the time. I was working with another employer and my employee was driving and I was in the passenger seat and we just came back from a business lunch um, with some clients and we were heading back to the office and we were pulled over and the officer um, became very interested in me as a passenger and not quite as interested in my my employee as a driver, which seemed weird, yeah. you know, where totally. the yeah. stop was not really anything about um, the, the, the driver of the car. He was just really interested in me and asking a lot of questions. And without going into super graphic detail, I can tell you that what was being insinuated was that maybe I was prostitute uh and it was a straight you know and that's strange because again we just came back from a business lunch I'm clearly in corporate attire there was no ticket there was there was nothing there it was just this experience that made it seem like this was an officer who may have been making it clear to kind of express what the power dynamic can be and just that 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 he has that ability to pull you over to ask those questions and to make those insinuations and what can you do? Um, it's a strange position to be in. Uh, and it's one that was, that sticks in my mind because it was so degrading to, to have someone insinuate those things about you. And knowing that the, obviously that doesn't make a lot of sense with the evidence of his eyes, but it was still happening and it was happening to me. Um, and it really shook up my, um, the gentleman who worked for me, who was uh, driving, um, because he had never experienced that before. He just assumed that he had done something wrong. And then he was confused why this was not about him. Um, why this was happening. And he was looking for me for answers. And it was this weird moment where I, I didn't know how to respond to him um, because he was going through his own like processing. What, yeah. what was this? And he's going through his, you know, his eyes slowly starting to open and to see how bizarre of an experience that was. But it was an eye-opening experience for him. Um, but it took me a while to process. And I had to talk to, as I explained certain aspects of that, um, that sometimes these things are about power and they're not really about um, something that you've done wrong. And that sometimes, you know, um, some people, not all people, but some people feel the need to exert their influence by by exerting that um, message of power. And, and that's a reality, and it may not come in that form, but that might come into play in those circumstances, that there is a power dynamic there that's happening. And um, unfortunately, in those situations where you might feel quite degraded or dehumanized, that it's still important to try to be calm because there are real consequences in that power dynamic. Um, and then what do we do afterwards? Because we know that that is 
fundamentally wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Fundamentally wrong. Yeah. So how do we, what do we do next? So we talk about those things. And that's one example of I wish I could tell you that it was the worst or the last or the least, but unfortunately it isn't. Um, it just, it falls along a, a long spectrum of these things and won't, unlikely to me, because now I maybe have some of these cynical views of, of life, it won't be the last along this line of, of um, bigotry, of racism, of of, um, of abuse in, of some sort. It's It's fascinating to me how you still were able to come home and have so much like grace and explaining it with your children and what had happened. And so I'm, I want to ask just, we've talked about this a little bit already with, you know, your work with inclusion, but how would you, or what advice would you give, um, or what have you learned in finding unity, um, in situations like this or just in general, whatever you feel comfortable sharing and how can we greater seek understanding, healing, connection, and love? Yeah. So, you know, in that circumstance, the, the, the route that I would take is that happened and it was awful and I can't go back and undo the thing that happened. Um, but what can I do to sort of help this not be a recurring pattern and have it not be something that, um, happens again. And, you know, we live in a community and a community is made up of neighbors and friends and people who are different. And um, I hope that as we, we who live in communities start to care about what's happening in my community. Am I comfortable with what's happening in my community? Do I know? Am I checking in and seeing, are there people in my community who, where I live, I see some of these on things on television and they seem really intangible because it's really far away and it may be happening to other people. But I am I taking any time to ask, does that happen in my own community? How can I find out if it's happening in my community? How can I check in? Do my local um, leaders who are civic leaders have answers to that question? How engaged am I in my own community and in those services in my community that are supposed to be shared and equitable um, and fair? Am I checking in to make sure that those things are shared, equitable, and fair? Am I engaged? Um, that That's the next step is we probably need to care about what's happening in our communities a little bit more. And we need to be asking and we need to be checking in with our neighbors and we need to hear these stories because I think what could happen is, gosh, you know, city police department, this was a really unfortunate incident, not just from the complainant, the person that made it, but um, from a community that says this is not acceptable here. We don't, we don't want that sort of um, uh, abuse of, of position and power happening within our community policing or within, our, within the services that we're all expecting to be um, one that is said to be of public service. Um, I think that we want people to be more engaged, you know, and we want to encourage engagement. Yeah, and I love I love that you shared that, and and I feel like it kind of goes back to that building relationship component that you were talking about earlier, 
And um, also something we talked about on the phone is um, not making assumptions about people. And the only way we can not make assumptions is by asking questions and talking to people because everyone's experience is going to be different. You talked about how you living in Jamaica and coming here, how within um, a community of different, you know, people who are black from different parts of the world, how everyone's experience may look a little different. Absolutely. So it's important to ask questions and get to know people and build those relationships. Absolutely. It has to be through um asking but you you almost have to raise your observational skills a little bit you need to yeah. you need to know who's in your community and you need to be reaching out you know using doing more ob- observing and asking questions and listening to those responses yeah thank you You're welcome. um i have one final question sure. i like to ask everybody on thank you first of all so much for being on i've loved this conversation you're just such a fun person to talk to thank you um so what i want to ask what i like to ask everyone is what does unity mean to you that is an excellent question. It goes back to that answer that I gave earlier about music, which is unity does not require all of us to be the same. It just requires us to want to move in the same direction. Okay. And um, what I've noticed about people is that we share a lot of the same values regardless of the different circumstances. Mm-hmm. We wanna be safe, we wanna be healthy, we want to feel loved. We want to feel like we belong. We want to serve. We want to be served. We want to do a lot of the same things, regardless of how we go about doing them. So unity to me is finding that harmony in linking arms, um, even though the arm next to me may be of a different shade, a different size, a different length. It, it doesn't matter. It, but understanding that Um, there's value in the next person and that when we connect to each other, when we link together, we're creating the harmony that allows us to sound less discordant and less chaotic and more like a symphony that is purposeful and um, lifts and, and makes us feel joyful. Because ultimately I feel like that's the point of this experience. I alluded to that in Christianity, that first and second great commandment from God to love God and to love each other. And I think that that is ultimately our greatest purpose here. Um, And part of that is to connect and to be unified. Um, So unity to me is trying to harmonize and recognizing that the harmony comes with different voices, different tones, different notes. But man, when it comes together, doesn't it sing? It sings beautifully. I love that. Thank you so much, Tracy. I appreciate you and all you've shared. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it on whatever platform you're listening to. Remember that it's okay to disagree. Unity comes when we can agree to disagree while still maintaining a love for one another. For more on unity, follow us on Instagram at finding.unity or on Twitter at finding underscore unity.